the book of Mark, the fifth chapter. I only put a small portion of this scripture actually in your bulletin, but if you have the My Custom Church app, uh, you will find that the entire passage uh, is in there. We're going to be reading Mark's account of a wonderful story today. I was sharing with Brother Kevin just a little bit earlier this morning that, you know, it's amazing that you could read the same story over and over and over. And then one day a light switch goes off or a light bulb dings, right? And I, I wonder if I don't have one of them light bulbs above my head you see in the cartoons and people can wonder if I had a great idea or not, right? But every now and then the, uh, the light bulb will go off and you'll be like, I never saw it that way before. I have preached from this text before uh, in my ministry, but it's been a long, long time. Uh, I want to say this, uh, I think the last time I looked, I think it was back in about 2010 when I had preached from this text. And trust me, just, you know, I've been, uh, this is my 15th year pastoring, and I preached a few years before that. Uh, it's not that I've run out of things in the Bible, and now I have to go back to uh, going over passages I've done before. It's just, I believe this is what God would have us for this time, and we're just going to trust Him with that, amen? Uh, but uh, as we look at this account, we find that, and so I want to read it in its entirety, uh, because a lot of times you'll hear people preach about this particular passage and they'll just take the woman who had the issue of blood and they'll just look at that portion. Um, and, or they'll talk about Jairus' daughter and they'll just take that portion. But we see this in the text. When you see this, this passage, you'll find that um, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are considered what they call the synoptic gospels. That means about 70% of uh, those Gospels, about 70% of the things you read in those Gospels occur in all three, right? And so what that really means is that we, we are getting three eyewitness accounts, right, or three different accounts of the same event in about 70% uh, of those three Gospels. Now, the Gospel of John is much different, and uh, it is believed that it was written uh, at a later date. It is believed that Mark wrote the earliest recording uh, of this event and of all the other events, and that Mark's writing things down actually occurred first. He, he writes in a much more simpler kind of uh, vernacular, if you will, right? Uh, a, a simple writing style where Luke is a lot more descriptive in some ways because Luke is a physician. Luke didn't have an eyewitness account. Luke actually went around and interviewed people who did see these things. Uh, and he wrote them down and recorded them so we would have a record of them. And if you're, you know, if you say, I'm not, is that, you sure about that? Just go read Luke chapter 1, verses I think 1 through 3 or so, and you'll see that he writes to someone named Theopolis, right? And some people say Theopolis would have been just a generic name. Uh, that he could have written to just to someone generically so that people would figure that it was for everybody. Or it could have been to a guy named Theopolis. We, we don't know. Uh, but Theopolis would have been like just saying your average Joe today, right? Right, average Joe. And so uh, we're going to look at Mark's account and uh, Mark's um, description of what happened uh, in this period of time today. And we want to look at it in its entirety. And so we're going to read a pretty long passage. You're going to have to stay with me. I know what you're thinking. Wait a second. We didn't do the other two songs. I just got to tell you, folks, I feel like preaching today, all right? If somebody, I just, I woke up this morning, I feel like preaching. And that's what I'm going to do. Because the word is the most important thing. 
You know, it was interesting. This past week, uh, our, our recorded service this past week got dinged uh, by YouTube, uh, uh, the, the gurus who make sure that we are not breaking any um, uh, laws, you know, copyright laws or, or any of that kind of stuff. And we have a CCL license that allows us to play songs and things like that. So we're not doing anything illegal, but if, it, if you play a specific thing. And so this past week we got dinged. I said, well, I'll tell you one thing they're not going to ding. They're not going to ding the word of God. I can tell you that. Because they're probably not going to listen to it enough to know what, what's going on. But I think, you know what? We're just going to preach this more. Just going to give them the word. Right. Because, listen, I love music. Y'all know I love music. I mean, I live and eat and breathe music. Uh, but listen, it's the word of God that saves. Amen. Songs can they can make us emotional and, and, and they can help us along. And songs can be soothing. They can be comforting. They can be an encouraging and they can be all that. But I'm going to tell you what songs aren't. They aren't God's word. Amen. And so, listen, you can't go wrong with God's word. So I, I just wanted this morning to be about him and his word. Amen. It's not about me, the preacher. It's not because I think that I'm going to do a great job. As a matter of fact, I'll probably stink up the joint. Amen. You get what you pay for anyway. Right. So I, I, I'll probably screw something up and I'll probably say something. You'd be like, I sure wish he wouldn't have said that. But listen, but this is about God and his word. And right. And, and God can even use a donkey and make him talk. Then he can use me as well. Right. Amen. And he can use you. But today's message is seek hope, experience hope and share hope. I want you to remember those three things. I want you to seek hope, experience hope and share hope. And we'll share with you today a little bit about what it means to seek God. And I got a really good quote from uh, Dr. John Piper. So Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 21. Let's, uh, if you would stand for the reading of God's word. I know you've already got tired of sitting already. But listen, it, if you want to stand and stretch your legs, now's the time to do it. Amen. Because listen, when we, once we get opened up and we get to rolling, we're going to get rolling. And we ain't going to stop until we're done. Amen. There ain't gonna, I'm not going to give you an intermission. We're just going to rock on with it. Everybody cool with that? All right. It's a good thing you said yes, because if you said no, I'd have, well, I'd keep going anyway, right? Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21, it says this, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he, and he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. 
And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter uh, and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother uh, and those with him and went into where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity we have, Lord, to be in your house, to, Lord, to, for, for your presence that we've already felt. God, we pray today, Lord, that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word. God, that it will not be about me, but it will be all about you. Father, we pray, Lord, if there's someone here, Lord, who needs hope, that, Father, today they'll experience your hope. Lord, we pray for those who may be listening uh, today and watching. Father, we pray, Lord, that uh, whoever's in the sound of our voice, that, Father, we pray that their needs will be met today. Lord, that if they have never encountered you, God, we just pray today, Lord, that they will see how much you love them. But Lord, maybe there's those of us who are here today, uh, Lord, or maybe listening that know you, but Lord, still find ourselves just in need of a touch. God, we pray today, Lord, for just that. Lord, that they will receive your touch. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, we just... Lord, I just know you got a plan. And Lord, I'm thankful for your plan. Lord, many times your plan has perplexed me. Lord, and it's just not just trying so hard to figure it out. Lord, I know that all we really need to do is trust, that you call us to obedience, and that the results are up to you. So Lord, we just place our faith in you today. Lord, we trust you. Lord, we give it all to you. And we pray this today, Lord, in the name of your beautiful son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. If you'd like to read the other accounts, as I said, this passage is... This event, if you will, both Jairus and his daughter, as well as the woman who had the issue of blood, is recorded in all three Gospels. We're looking at the version in Mark, but also in Matthew chapter 9 and Luke chapter 8, you will find uh, the same event recorded in different words. Now, you just got to remember that they don't, you know, people say sometimes, well, don't they contradict one another? No, it's if, all, if me and two others were to see an accident happen out here, we would all see some of the major things, like in all three passages, you will find that Jairus had a sick daughter. You will find that this woman had been sick for 12 years, right? You'll, sign, you'll find great details. You'll know and you'll see in all three that, that she touched the hem of his garment. You'll know, you'll know the big things. But if we were all sat here and we were to witness an accident out here, we would all see some major things that, together. But there would be details that we would all see differently. 
You may see the color of the car where I don't really pay attention to that kind of thing, right? You may notice the kind of fabric the interior is made out of. There's all these different kind of things that we will all see details differently. My wife is a detailed person. I mean, honestly, she'll look at me and she goes, you passed that thing three times this week and still ain't picked it up. I'm going to be quite honest with you. When I'm working and I got a lot on my brain, which is most of the time, you could park a Mack truck in the foyer of this church. And I will walk right past it and not even smell the diesel fuel. Right? That's, just a, that's just the way I'm wired. I'm wired to go get done what I need to get done. Now, Sal could not only tell you that there's a Mack truck park, but she could tell you what size tires is on it. right? Uh, and also, she'd tell you what kind of lighting package it had and who manufactured it. Right? That's, that's who she is. Right? Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm different. And so I want you to understand, you know, kind of how the Bible is structured. So these three Gospels tell the same story just from three different human perspectives. But it's recorded for us. But all the major things are the same. And so it's good to understand how the Word of God uh, is structured, how it's written. Um, and so that's just an important thing I, I just felt the need to, to mention. And so the story starts off here that they, Jesus gets off the boat and there's this guy named Jairus that comes up to him and, is, and, and basically drops to his knees, falls down before him and begs him to come and touch his daughter. Now he's a ruler of the synagogue. Remember, most of the high Jews were giving Jesus trouble. They didn't like what he was doing. Um, they didn't like the fact that... Uh, Jesus was kind of breaking with some of the traditions and stuff they had, and, and he was challenging them. He, they didn't like to be challenged and have their heart challenged. So, so many times, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and, and, and surely as the ruler of a synagogue, it would have kind of been like a pastor. Certainly, Jairus would have been tied in with those kind of people and, and of that, that sort. But what's amazing is when you have a need, right? When you have a need, it's no longer about tradition. It's no longer about how things used to be or, or siding with someone. When you find it yourself in need, and listen, what greater need is it than have a sick child? I can't imagine anything worse than having a child of mine that is sick and in need. And so Jairus, is, at this point, has let it all hang out. He's done fall down before the guy that a lot of other people are shunning, but yet he says, you know what? I've seen and I've witnessed what Jesus has done, or I've heard at least the great reports of what Jesus has done. So listen, I've got nothing else to lose. I'm going to go fall down before him and beg him to come and do for my house what he's done for others. It's amazing how situations and circumstances in life can bring us to that point of where we're no longer wondered uh, or worried, if you will, no longer worried about how we other people view us. And do you ever wonder about that? What does it take for someone to come to Jesus? What does it take for someone to come to the point where they will fully trust in God with all of their heart, mind, and soul? What does it take that has to happen to a person? What may break me may not break you. It may take more to break you, or it may take less to break you. Some of y'all get a hangnail, and you're ready to sell your house for a cure. It's called fingernail clippers, by the way. They can fix a hangnail, amen? Some people, man, all it takes is a hangnail, and it drives them to their knees. Some people, it, it would take a lot more. With Jarius, it took his daughter being sick. 
Now, it doesn't mean that, that God struck his daughter with sickness. What it means is God allows the thing on this earth to play out. There is pestilence and disease on this earth. And it came as a result of sin. Remember, there wasn't any death on the earth until there was sin, and sin caused death. And now we know that life and death are just a part of normal circumstance and normal life. And we know that pestilence and disease is a normal thing. And if you don't believe that, then I tell you, go grab a piece of pork up here at the grocery store and only cook it to about 110 degrees, and then tell me if there's disease and pestilence around. When you're throwing your guts up, you'd have wished you cooked her to 165, right? Because 165, we know that it is then done and all the harmful stuff that's in it will be gone. Or how about this? Go eat a raw oyster in a month that doesn't end with R and sees what happens. There's disease. There's pestilence. There's all these things that's just caused by sin. And God could allow the natural course of life because He knows what's going to happen, yes. And He allows it to happen. It's been set in motion. But God can still use that which sin has brought upon us. It doesn't even mean that the daughter's sin. Just the simple fact that because sin brought death, and death has now brought all kind and manner of diseases and sicknesses upon us that all come from things like germs and all that stuff. And because of that, people get sick. It's interesting how we blame God on certain things. God, why did you let this person get sick or why did you let that person get sick? As if it was God who caused sickness to be upon us. It's caused by sin. When do we just get real with it and blame the real deal? What's responsible is sin. Sin brought on disease and sickness. And we'll all experience it because none of us will live forever. The only way we're going to live forever is to shed this earthly body and get that glorified body that God has prepared for us. But our soul is eternal. But remember, God made this body. He didn't make this body for sin. He made this body for perfection in the garden. He made Adam and Eve and He made them perfect. He didn't make them to deal with things like guilt. Guilt didn't come until they ate from the tree he told them to stay away from, which was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When they ate of that tree and they sinned, then death entered the world. Our bodies weren't made to deal with guilt. You ever had guilt? You know what guilt feels like? It'll eat you to the core. That's why the beautiful thing is when, is when we come to Christ and we call Him Lord and, and we trust Him with our heart, mind, and soul. And listen, and we fall down Him in worship and ask Him to cover us with His blood. The amount of guilt that rolls off of us that day will be a day that we will always remember. I don't know about you, but I remember how I felt the day that I knelt down. It gave my heart to God. It was a beautiful day. And listen, I can take you back to the place exactly of where it happened because I remember that day how I was living in sin and shame. And listen, I didn't even want people to look at me. I didn't want to look at myself in the mirror because when I looked at myself, all I saw was the sin. All I saw was the mess up. All I saw was the, the place that I had taken huff to in his life where I was just, I despised life itself. But Jesus showed up one day. And how my life changed. 
God allowed me to get to a place where I was broken. And where I had tried to fix, and I tried to fix, and I tried to fix, and I tried to fix again, but I had gotten to the point where Huff was out of fixes. I was out of suggestions, ideas, plans. I had exhausted them all. And the only thing I had left. Some people take things that takes great faith to come to God, but I think when we look at today, this passage, we see something a little bit different. So how we talk? It doesn't take great faith. Jesus even himself said it's not the quantity of faith. He said if you have the faith of this tiny mustard seed, you see, it's not about the size of our faith. It's who we place our faith in that matters. Amen. And so often we place our faith in ourselves because we come up with the ideas, we come up with the fixes, or we decide, you know what, I have decided I'm going to conquer this, I'm going to be all right, I'm, listen, I, I'm not going to fall into the trap again. And how many times have we made that decision? I'm not going to let it happen, I'm not going to let it happen, I'm not going to fall to it again, and there I am right back again. Listen, faith in myself will always misguide me, but even the small of us, amount of faith placed in God can do great things. Not about the quantity. I believe we'll see in the scriptures it's not even about the quality. It's about who we have faith in. It's about coming to the place where I have exhausted all that I know to do. And so here we see Jarius. Jarius is at that spot. Right? Jairus is at that spot. He's fallen before Jesus. I'm sure all of his Pharisee buddies were like, I can't even believe you even talked to that guy, much less go up there and make a fool of yourself falling down on your face in front of him. But when you've exhausted all that you know, and someone you love deeply as your child, and you've run out of everything that there is to do, I find that when you have no, nothing else to trust but Jesus, it doesn't take a whole lot of trust. It only takes a little, and that's all I had left. But I came to Jesus. And maybe that's all you've got left. But the beautiful thing today is that's all you need. That's all you need. So Jarius falls down. So Jesus says, all right, so now I want you to imagine this. Jarius falls down before Jesus. Jesus agrees to go with him. Now they're both taken off to go to Jairus' house. But then the story breaks into this, this other thing. Jairus begs Jesus. Jesus says, okay. And now they start walking. But now there's this other person, this woman. And I like how it says here, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman. And I love how this story, is, is to, this story is told in all three Gospels with the same structure. So Jesus is going to leave and this whole crowd is going to go with him. I mean, imagine that. Jairus fell down on his face. People are probably flabbergasted by that. But now Jesus is going to Jairus' house and his daughter's sick. I got to see what happens next. I mean, this is almost like reality TV breaking out in front of you. I want to see what happens. It's like a train wreck. You ever heard of a thing about a train wreck? You know what's coming, but you can't stop watching Right? Even though you know what's going to happen, you still got to watch anyway. So now there are this crowd. And why, Huff, why are you saying it like that? You're kind of making jests. Because listen, all these crowds follow Jesus a lot of places. But they all left him in the worst moment. 
It wasn't that they wanted really Jesus. They wanted Jesus to perform whatever magic it thought he had to do something for them. So they were following and they wanted to see what was going to go on. A lot of people today said, if God would just give me a sign, listen, God's giving you his word. You don't need a sign. Matter of fact, Jesus kind of really said something. About, he said, a lot of you, you seek for a sign, but I'm telling you that this is already before you. They wanted a sign about the Messiah, yet the Messiah was standing in front of them. And they had already had all the prophecies. They should have known who he was. How much more does it take? So now there's this great crowd, but then there's this woman. And it says this woman had an issue of blood. She had a discharge of blood. And the easiest way to explain this is this woman had a hemorrhage that only women can do. And I'll leave it at that. You kind of get the idea. This is not something a guy would experience. But what's unique about this is when we think about this woman, we think about her sickness 12 years. 12 years this woman went through this sickness. But I want you to understand today that the sickness wasn't the worst part. You see, according to Leviticus 15, because of this woman and the type of hemorrhage she had, it made her unclean. It made her ceremonially unclean. It made her socially unclean. Could you imagine being sick and being declared unclean to the point that even your friends couldn't console you? Why? Because if they touched you, they'd be unclean. If they even touched the clothes that you had on or they touched something that you touched, it was declared unclean. Could you imagine being that person that everybody sees as that unclean one and they can't do anything with you because they don't want to be unclean? Heaven forbid that they get unclean. They don't want that. And so even her friends would have left her and she couldn't even worship. She couldn't go into her local synagogue. She probably knew who Jarius was. She may have been to his church. Couldn't go now. She's unclean. Some theologians say she was likely divorced because what husband is going to go 12 years not being able to be in the same room with your wife? Who's going, to, who's going to want to be with that to not be able to, you know, to be intimate with your wife for 12 years? But not only that, can't even touch her, can't even get a hug. I don't know about you, I make fun of women, you know, wanting a hug. You know, guys, if your wife comes up and says, I just need a hug, give it to them. But I'm going to be honest, and I'm going to be vulnerable here. The older I get, the more I like them too. Now, I'm not talking about hug a hug a hug. I, a, I ain't saying I don't like that too, but I'm just saying. When I'm having a bad day, I'm having a tough day, and I'm struggling, and my wife comes up and puts her arms around me, even if I'm sitting, I'll be sitting in my office chair, and she'll just come up and put her hands down around my shoulders and just put them right on, lay them on my chest. And just squeeze me into the chair and say, honey, I love you. Listen, as guys, I've made fun of years of women wanting hugs. But I just got to tell you, fellas, we've been missing out on something. They're pretty good. I like them. It comforts me. Makes me know that I'm loved. Let's me feel her desire for me to have a better day and for things to not be so tough sometimes. Could you imagine how this woman felt she couldn't even get a hug? 
Not only is a hug from my wife good, but you know, I got to see my buddy Dean a couple weeks ago. I hadn't seen him for years, and we got out of the car, and he come over, man, and he just grabbed me, and I grabbed him, and we just embraced, man, two brothers. It's like we've been disconnected for so many years, and all it took was about two seconds, and our arms locked around each other, and it was just like we went back to the last day that I saw him. And listen, I will tell you, not only did he hug me, he kissed me on the cheek. He said, I love you, Huff. Made me feel good. He's got tears in his eyes. He pulled some hard time for the last five years in a prison where he didn't get affection or hugs. And to now have someone that even though he's out that didn't care about where he's been to loves him anyway. He said, I've never experienced love like this. I remember being up at Credo. I remember Richard. Remember the first time I saw Richard? Richard ended up being my table leader. They break you up into groups. And when I first saw Richard, Richard acted different than most guys. He was different. And that guy side of me, you know, that, that masculine testosterone guy, looked differently back in those days. But when Richard told the story of how he'd been abused as a boy by his older brothers and by other men, and he said it wasn't until he came to Credo that he found what real love was and that a, what a really godly man was. And it's the first time he'd ever got a hug from a man and, and knew that it was a godly hug and that he didn't want anything from him. And I got to tell you, man, I cried. When I say like a baby, I mean... I cried like a newborn baby with the colic. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it wasn't a, it was a baha cry. You know what I'm saying? One of them embarrassing cries. One of them ones that'll make you go viral on YouTube if somebody was to record it. Thankfully, they make you leave your phones back. Or that could have been ugly. Can you imagine no hugs? If someone did want to say hi, they'd have to say from a distance, well, we kind of understand that today, right? We've been socially distancing. How many people have talked about how just we hear it day after day. People are just discouraged. They feel disconnected. They just they're tired of this being six foot apart and wearing a mask and not being able to hug one another and all those things. And we see people are just the, the dep depression has run rampant. Why? Because God has made us. In such a way, I believe when he looked at Adam and said it'd be not good that Adam, that man would be alone, is that God knows that we need even hugs sometimes. This woman couldn't get any of that. For 12 years, she'd been ostracized. People would walk the other way when they see her coming. It's almost as if she was a leper. But I'm sure even the lepers didn't want to be around her. And this woman had lived a tough life. But not only has she been ostracized, but if you look and see what the scripture says, it says, who had suffered much under many physicians. It's not that she just suffered from the hemorrhage, but she had suffered under many physicians. You know what that means? I don't know if you've ever read about ancient medical practices. 
If you've got a weak stomach, don't read it. They did crazy stuff back then. I mean, crazy. Here, eat this, boil this into a tea, drink that. Here, do this. I mean, uh, leeches. They thought if you were sick for a while, they'd, you ever heard of bloodletting? They'd cut you and just let you bleed and thought that, well, that'll make you feel better. I'd be like, i go in and be drained of a pint of blood and all I had was a headache. I don't know about you, but with some of the medical practice I've read about, listen, I ain't going to the doctor. If my mother says, if you don't get better, I'm calling the doctor. I feel great. I'm going to school right now. Matter of fact, I'll walk there. I don't even need the bus. I'm going, Ma. See? I'd be dragging one arm and one leg behind me, and I'll hop all the way. I ain't going to the doctor. They hurt people there. If you read of some of them ancient medical practices, these people were nuts. I had a tooth pulled. Uh, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, had a tooth pulled. Man, Novocaine, yes. Novocaine, Novocaine, I like it. I don't know about you, but he put this thing in my, between my, my cheek and my gum. He said, here's some topical numbing stuff so I can give you a needle. Needle. I don't like needles. But I didn't like that tooth more. You know what I'm saying? Needle, tooth killing me, needle, tooth killing me, all right, get the tooth out. So he numbed my gums up and he comes with that needle and, and I, oh, that wasn't bad at all. And he says, now I got to put one in the top of your mouth. This one's going to hurt a little. Oh, man, you shouldn't tell somebody it's going to hurt. Because, right, he done stuck his finger on the roof. My, he ain't got the needle up in there yet. As soon as he touched my, ah, ah, y'all know what I'm saying? There's a video of a dog online that didn't want his toenails cut. Y'all ever seen that? And the dog's like, ah, Right, as soon as they get the toe cut, ah, right? Hadn't even touched his toe yet. Ah! That was me. I'm like, ah! He's like, I ain't even got it in there yet. I'm anticipating it. Of course, it sounds like I ain't hit her hand. How does the dentist know what you're saying? And they put that thing in there to lock your mouth open. How you doing? I know good. Right? He's like, can you feel it? I can feel that. I'll go. I'll go. Go ahead. Go ahead. And he's carrying on conversation. Oh, hey, he can understand. I can understand. All right. Then he put that, then he actually got the needle in. I went, ah! I done slid down in the chair. I don't know if you know them armrests are supposed to go right here. He's under here. Their armpit rest. I cleaned down in there. Ah! And he ain't pulled the tooth yet. Well, then he comes with what looks like a pair of vice grips that, that came out of my grandfather's toolbox with grease on them. He's like, we're getting ready to pull it. Oh, hey. And I'm like, it ain't going to hurt. Now it's like, it ain't going to I forgot to tell him I had a bad neck. <laughs> that dude went in there, clamped that tooth, and he started, look, he's like, uh, uh, my head's going, uh, uh, uh. Now my, my, I put my shoulders up to try to protect my, my neck, right? Oh, hey, I'm high, I'm high. He's like, you say, hey, hey. 
Then, listen, it got worse. The nurse grabbed my head, and now she's like this, trying to hold my head still. He's like, hold still. I hide him. I didn't, listen, I'm going to tell you for next time, put me to sleep. It traumatized me. Well, he's pulling and he's wrenching. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, I don't want him to break my other teeth. Hey, you know what I do? He understood it. I'm not going to break your other tooth. Okay. And then all of a sudden, his hands are out of my mouth. I'm like, is it over? Is it out? Is it out? I'm like, is it out? Are you done? I'm done. I'm done. Well, we got to sell you out. Hell yeah. What do you do? He broke out a needle with thread. What do you do? I thought he cut me or something. He said, no, we're just going to sew it up so it heal better. Okay. And then all of a sudden he says, all right, I'm going to take this thing out of your mouth and so just open real wide. Oh, oh I'll be wide. Oh, huh? He pulls this thing out and I'm like, Whew. you Okay. Okay. He says, you can talk regular now. Okay. But now you feel like Mushmouth from the, right? You remember Fat Albert and Mushmouth? Obi Kaby. Sal, cock about Sal, how'd it go? Okay. Well, look, hanging out here, drool hanging down, galls hanging out. You imagine going through that with no Novocaine? I don't know about you, but listen, I, 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 I'm going to start wearing Novocaine shirts just to support them people. Right? Novocaine. Now listen, I'm going to tell you, even with Novocaine, first of all, putting the shot in the roof of my mouth really hurt. But even with the Novocaine, the pressure that I felt and what he was doing there, I could, man, listen, it hurt. And the nurse told me, she says, you might want to take one of them pain pills when you get home because when that Novocaine wears off, it's going to be a different story. I can't imagine what this woman went through. I was traumatized by the dentist. I think you could tell now, right? It's like I just like had 15 minutes of therapy. I've got to tell that story. Whew. Could you imagine what this woman went through? Could you imagine what she experienced? It said that she had suffered under many physicians. I took my dad to the hand doctor this week, and he's got arthritis real bad in his one thumb. And the doctor says, well, we're going to have to try an injection first, and if that don't work, then we'll talk about surgery. My dad said, okay. And, and they sprayed some stuff on there to kind of freeze the skin, but when they got the needle down in that joint, I watched my dad, you know, and then I watched the doctor move the needle around. Listen, I can watch it when it's somebody else that's nice, isn't it, when you watch it somebody else? Oh, that's interesting. You know, doctor just keeps moving around and injecting this stuff in there, and my dad... You ever been to the doctor and even though they have modern medicine, it hurt, and there's some things they just can't, it's going to hurt? I remember one time I had to get stitches, and I asked my dad, I said, Dad, is this going to hurt? My dad, was one of these, he, my dad promised to never lie to me. Even when my dad was not a Christian, he, he always promised me, I'll never lie to you. He looked at me, son, and said, son, I ain't going to lie to you, it's going to hurt a little. And there's nothing we could do about that, but once they get you numb, it'll be okay, so... I remember when they stuck the needles in, and I remember wincing. And my dad just, he says, squeeze my hand, son, squeeze my hand. And so with us and all of our modern medicine, even us, we sometimes go to the doctor and we're already worried, is it going to hurt? This woman had suffered greatly.
And this woman had gotten to the place where she had exhausted. It said that she spent all of her living. So it's not only did she go experience tough times from the doctor, but she had at this point done paid out every dime that she had. She'd done spent on trying to be healed. Why? Because this thing that is ailing her has pretty much halted her entire life. Her entire life had been affected by this one thing. And maybe you know what that feels like. I can tell you that learning to deal with and live with pain every day, listen, that will change your life. When I first started going through the issue, you know, w- w- with my neck, uh, when, when it first happened, I thought I was having a heart attack. And when, I, when a big guy my size goes into the ER and says you have chest pains, listen, the first thing they're going to do is run an EKG, check your blood pressure, because a big boy having chest pains is not uncommon. And they're already like, well, you know, he got a heart problem. Look at that big old boy. He ain't pushed away from the dinner table enough now, look, he's got a heart problem. But guess what? Ticker's fine. Ticker's great. Matter of fact, they even sent me to get a stress test. No, that's suffering right there, by the way. Don't go take a stress test with bad knees. You better tell them you got bad knees and let them do it a different way. They will run you to death. They're like, we need you to pick up the pace. Pick up the pace. Look at this. I'm going as fast as I can. Holding on to the bar. Well, we, got, we got to pick it up a little bit. No. We need to get your heart rate up. This is as high as we go. Did a stress test. Everything's fine with the old ticker. Doctor says, well, if that pain is not your chest, not your heart, then I think I may know what it is. And so that's when they found out that I had these pinched nerves and these issues with discs and all this stuff. Do you know how much money that we spent just paying the copays on all these doctors to get things tested that didn't work, that wasn't it? Every time I go to the doctor, I think that's it. They're going to find this issue and maybe I can get some relief. Maybe I can get some relief. And you know what? It turns out your life ends up revolving around the issue. Because all I had, if I stood and, te- and teach a class for four hours, then, then I was in pain the rest of the day. Listen, nothing else would get done the rest of the day. My wife can tell you that's how it works. If I taught a class for four hours and stood up and moved my arms, my neck would hurt so bad that my teeth would ache. And I remember driving home with tears running down my face from Baltimore, just crying, just hurting so bad, but didn't want to take anything because I had an hour and a half drive home, and I didn't want to be on the road like that and get home and try to take something. But if you take something, it knocks you out. You see the revolving thing around here. Ailments sometimes can just pretty much pulverize your whole life. Sometimes it doesn't even have to be physical. Sometimes going through difficulty, there's been times that I've been perplexed and dealing with issues, whether it be family-related type issues or issues with our kids or whatever, and, and it just be the only thing that I could think of. Anybody ever been through that? Where it's like everything that you do, it just revolves around that. But this woman experienced like the worst kind possible because she not only had a physical thing, but it also cut her off her worship. It cut off her ability to come together like we are this morning. Don't you always feel better after church? After you've been together with God's people, we've worshiped together. You know, we listen to the pre- all. I mean, it just makes life better. She couldn't do this. She was cut off. Couldn't get a hug, couldn't get any of that. 
But, verse 27 says, she had heard the reports about Jesus. She had heard the reports about Jesus. Now listen, I don't know where she heard it. It makes me wonder sometimes, and knowing that people would try to, people who knew her knew that she was unclean. Maybe she heard it from a stranger who didn't know she was unclean. And maybe for a minute she was standing in line to buy meat at the market, or maybe she was at the doctor's office. So maybe she might have just met someone that didn't know her and didn't realize she had this ailment and didn't see her as unclean. And just for a couple minutes, she felt normal. You ever been like that? You ever just met a stranger and just for a few minutes you met somebody who didn't know your problem? You met somebody who didn't know your issues? And the, the, met somebody who you know was not looking at you in judgment, right? Because they don't know your situation, don't know what you've been through, don't know what you've done. And just for a few minutes, you feel normal. I wonder if that's what it was like. But somebody ran into her and somebody told her about this guy that's running around that is doing miracles in people's lives. And his name was Jesus. Ain't that good? Maybe she, was at the, maybe she was at the appointment for the physician, the doctor. Maybe she was waiting to, to get in to see the doctor and somebody else is like, what are you here for? Well, you know, she went, yeah, I'm hoping this fixes it. But I heard the other day, I heard the other day that that next village over, there was this fellow going through town. His name was Jesus. He was healing people. I can't wait to find an address for his office. I don't know. I don't know if this guy can do that, but it's this guy, Jesus, I heard about. This guy, from what I understand, this guy is amazing. Like, he's miraculous, like right now. Matter of fact, matter of fact, his healing don't even hurt. How did she find out about Jesus? She has sought everything else out, and she has nothing left to seek until she hears about this Jesus. She spent all of her money, been to every doctor she could find. Nobody could help her, but she heard about Jesus. I don't know about you, but I've been to that place where I had nothing else left. It's amazing that when you get to that point, you know, it's not that nobody had offered me Jesus before. It's not that people hadn't told me, Huff, I know, I'll tell you what right now, I know you don't, you don't agree with me, but I'm going to tell you right now, what you really need in your life is you need, you know, you need the Lord in your life. You need to accept Christ. You need to allow Him to do the things for you. You're, you need to allow Him to be what satisfies you and what fills you up. You can't find satisfaction in all the other things you're trying. You can't find healing in all the other things you're trying. You can't find something to take that anxiety away and to deal with you when the panic sets in. None of those other things work. But listen, Huff, I'm going to tell you what you need. You need Jesus. Well, thanks for telling me. But I hadn't got there yet. There's still this other doctor over here. There's still this other thing. There's this other group that I'll get involved with, and maybe that'll bring me some peace. Maybe if I join this thing over here, that it'll give me some peace. It wasn't that people didn't tell me about Jesus. I was raised in church. I knew. I just wasn't there yet. And so a lot of times it takes people to get into that most awful spot before they're there yet. But then I ask you, will you be there when they're ready? 
I want you to think about that. I've talked to people about other people that were witnessing sitting in that. I don't know if you've ever been. I think it's on the fourth floor at Martinsburg Hospital. They go on the fourth floor and, and they've got the, um, uh, they, they, there's a different name for it, but it's basically it's the cancer section. And there's a room they got set up in there that's got these reclining chairs and that's where people go in to take chemo. And I've heard, I've heard people talk about how there would be someone in the, wheelchair, someone in the chair in the recliner with the, the bag of that medicine hanging and the drip going on, knowing they got to be there for the next couple of hours and, and get chemo. And then here comes this other person. But when they walk in, their face is different. There's a, there's a light coming off of this person that's much different. Their face is, is full of life, even though they're facing death. And they see that there's just something different about this other person because their life is not being driven on the brink of desperation even though they have this same disease that I have. And that person sits down in the chair and the nurses come and, and they hook up to the port that they had installed and, and they're sitting there and they got the same kind of medicine dripping and going through their veins and, and they're just as sick as everybody else in and some of them even wearing wigs to cover up the fact that they've lost their hair and all those other things that happen. But listen, that one person's there is just, listen, I've come to the bottom. I just, I've tried all that I could try. This is a latch dish effort. Listen, I can't find any peace anywhere and I feel like, listen, I don't know how much time I got left but here comes this person in here got the same kind of problem got the same disease but they sit down and their outlook is totally different why because they have Jesus Because they know that this is not the end of the story and that if this body withers away and is gone, they know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So listen, so they're not worried in the same way. Sure, they don't want to leave their families. Sure, they don't want to have to go through the painful stuff. But regardless, listen, whether I stay or whether I go, I know that I'm a winner either way. Amen. So how does that happen? That's something we've been preaching about a lot lately, isn't it? God using your circumstance to help others. Remember Paul when he said that, listen, I've been, I've been in prison, but it's, but it's for the sake of the gospel. It's for the advancement of the gospel. So I want to ask you right now, whatever situation it is that you're going through, I'm going to tell you one or two things needs to happen today. One or two things. Either you need to come and you need to surrender to God and allow Him to fix whatever it is that's bothering you. Or two, you need to surrender to God and say, God, I'm not going to allow this circumstance to shape my outlook anymore. I'm going to use it as a platform to share the gospel. Because that's what Christians do. Because God uses us in so many different and unique ways. But is there a way that you could be sharing Christ today in your circumstance? Is there a way today that you could be sharing Christ with those around you? Do you have a platform that makes you unique, that maybe someone who's going through the same thing, maybe you're in a difficult place, maybe you're going through a tough thing. Are you using it for the advancement of the gospel? Because you're either here today, and this message is either because you've gone as far as you can go on your own, and you really need to surrender it to God, I mean, wholly and completely, or you're here today and God wants you to know 
that what it is you're going through is for a reason and start lifting your voice for the glory of God. You see, the only way that that one cancer patient could testify to the other cancer patient is to what? Have cancer. You know, yesterday I watched my wife and Tony's mom talk, right? And then Sal started telling me about the conversation, right? I'm not saying anything that's out of, out, of, out of the swords. Everybody knows that we've been praying for Tony's mom. And see, there's things that Sal and her could talk about that you and I can't talk about it. I don't have it. I don't know what that feels like. But they could. And they encourage one another. And by the way, she's probably watching today. I want you to know we're praying for you. We have been. But I also want you to know that what you did for my wife and talking to her means the world to us. Because sometimes a person's talking and they think that they're talking because they need someone to talk to, but they don't realize the other person needs it just as much. And they were able to share yesterday together what it's like experiencing cancer and going through those things. So often we look at life circumstance and we ask, why do I got to be here? But we do it with the attitude is like, why do I got to go through this? Let, somebody else should have to go, not me. Instead of saying, why do I got to be here? How about we phrase it like this? Lord, please reveal to me why I'm here so that I may bring you the greatest glory that I can in my humanness. Lord, use me in this spot. And so I went back. There's this story, and I've preached on this before. There's a story, and I don't know if you've ever, it's got one of the best, right? You ever watched Tombstone's one of my favorite movies, right? You know, one of my favorite lines, why Ike? Maybe poker's not your game. How about a spelling contest, right? That's the best line ever, right? Glenn knows it, right? That's the best line ever, isn't it? How about a spelling contest? Or Wyatt, you're an oak. This is one of the best one-liners. This is one of my favorite phrases from the scriptures that wasn't said by God or Jesus, right? And so I, I want you to look at this story just for a minute. And it's in 2 Kings, chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. Just write that down. I'm going to read it real quick. You can go read the whole thing later. But it says, Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man, and his master, uh, with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. So this guy's a great commander of the army, and God allowed him to have victory. And so for that, he was esteemed by everyone, including the king of Syria. Problem was, no matter what kind of victory he had on the, on the battlefield, when he went home and looked in the mirror, he was still a leper. You know, sometimes I can accomplish all kind of cool things in my career, but when I go look in the mirror, I'm still huff. I have a lot of other people that may have confidence in me in a lot of different areas, but when I go look in the mirror, I still see huff. And Huff is still this snot-nosed kid from the mountain who was always trying to prove himself to everybody and always trying to work twice as hard to know the things that he needs to know because he wants to come across as somebody who is intellectual. I like knowing things. 
But at the end of the day, I know who I really am. And I look in the mirror and I see it. I'm sure from a distance they saw Naaman. He was this great commander of the army, brave and valiant. But at the end of the day, he was still Naaman and he was still a leper. But there's the great line. It says, now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. Now think about this. In one of his raids, they took some people, captured some people, captured some people and took them back. You understand what I'm saying? They captured. It wasn't this little girl who's like, hey, Mr. Naaman, can I go with you? Take me away from these awful people. I don't like my mom and dad. Take me away. That's not what happened. I'm sure they had to drag her kicking and screaming. She did not want to leave home. She was carried off. Think about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were carried off. They were taken. They, it wasn't their choice. And this girl was put into a bad situation, a tough situation. And, you know, sometimes when we're in tough situations, we can either get mad at God or we can glorify God. Which one are you going to do? Here's a good question for you, right? Are we going to glorify him? Or are we going to speak of his greatness? Or are we just going to be mad at God because we're having a tough face time, tough, face a tough time? Well, this little girl may have been taken from her family and she may have been carried off. But her belief in what God could do never wavered because this is the best line ever. In verse 3, it says, She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with a prophet who was in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. I could just imagine her right there, you know, the mistress of the house sitting in a chair, and there she is combing her hair, being the, the good little attendant that she was supposed to be. And her saying, would that my Lord be... And when she said, would that my Lord, she's saying the Lord of the house, which was Naaman. Right? Or another way you could say that she would have never called him by his name because that would have been disrespectful. But it would have been, would that Naaman would know the prophet of Israel because he would surely cure him. There she was, just combing her hair. Would that my Lord were with the prophet of Israel, he would cure him of his leprosy. There's that little girl in a bad situation, but God had a plan. And she had a purpose. And this one little girl, this one little girl made kings believe in God. This one little girl made the greatest general of the Syrian army believe in God. This one little girl affected the entire landscape. This one little girl. This one little girl who was taken from her home. I'm sure she didn't want to go. And she was placed to be an attendant to the mistress. And by the way, the attendant is just a nice word for slave. She was a house slave. Let's just face it, that's what it was. Taken from her home, stripped from her parents, and made to be a worker in this house. But still yet, the power of God, the power of God was never watered down in her eyes. She still believed wholeheartedly because she just knew that if the Lord of the house was to go see the prophet, that surely God would do something great. That one little girl changed the entire landscape because she told the mistress, would that my Lord would go to the prophet because he would cure him. When Naaman gets home, guess what his wife does? Hey, this little girl told me about this prophet down there and you know 
that the God of the Israelites, we've heard stories, I'm sure. So guess what Naaman does? Naaman just doesn't say, well, it's just a little girl's tale. Naaman goes to the king, says, hey, this girl I carried off, she done told me about this prophet of Israel down here that says he could cure me of my leprosy. Now, why would a general of an army believe a little girl? Because when you ain't got nothing else, and somebody gives you hope, what do you do? You follow that trail because you done followed all the others and nobody was able to cure. Nobody has ever been cured of leprosy. There's no record of that ever happening except when God did it. So Naaman has nothing to lose. He listens to what this little girl says. And he goes to the king of Syria and says, listen, they say that this prophet... So you know what the king of Syria does? Hey, I'll write a letter to the king left in Israel and say that I'm, you're, you're coming by way of me. I'm sending you there. So now Naaman's got a letter from the king that all started with this little girl saying, would my Lord be down there with the prophet? He'd get cured. This one little girl now has caused all this to happen. So listen, first off, young people, don't ever discount what God can do in your life. God can use you. You keep telling people about Jesus. You tell those around you. I don't care about mom, dad, aunts, uncles, cousins, you name it, or the gardener next door. You tell people about Jesus. Don't you ever discount your age and think that you can't be used. Here's this little girl, and now the king is writing letters. So Naaman goes down there with that letter to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel, oh, he just flips out because he knows the prophet, you know, king of Israel ain't been doing right. And he's like, oh, you know, the Lord ain't going to help in this matter because, you know, we don't, he knows what's going on and knows that they're going to be carried off anyway. And so I'm sure that's why he was worried. So he tears his clothes and prophet finds out about it. Naaman ends up at the prophet's house and Elijah don't even come out. He said, tell him to go dip himself seven times in the Jordan River and he'll be cured. Now Naaman's mad, walking away, mad. You know, there's a lot of other rivers I could have dipped myself in. I go down in the muddy Jordan River. I mean, what's this guy? God wouldn't even come out. Of course, then one of his guys with him says, hey, what do you got to lose? I mean, you done followed a little girl. By the way, it's little girl. It didn't say a young maiden. So a little girl's meaning she's probably late elementary years. She might be eight, nine years old. We're not exactly sure. But calling her a little girl means that she wasn't in marrying age or anything like that. So we know that she probably hasn't hit her teen years yet. So she's still in her single digits. You didn't believe the, a girl and a, a little girl, what do you got left? And so he goes down on the seventh time, he comes up, and he's got skin like that of a baby. He had nothing else to lose. So don't discount your story. Don't think that people don't want to hear your story. Don't think that people don't want to hear because when people are hopeless, they want hope. People will try just about anything to get some kind of relief or peace in their life. 
Trust me, I know. I've tried other things to get peace. It's temporary at best. You might have a few hours of what you think may be peace away from your mind, spinning all the different directions. But at the end of the day, you wake back up and you're right back in the problem again. Listen, people need hope. Look at the world today. They're trying absolutely everything that they can get their hands on and even more. And they're trying to squash out all kinds of things that make them feel bad about themselves. Why? Because they already feel bad about themselves. Don't you get that? the deal? Why is the cancel culture the way it is? They try to cancel anything that brings them pain because they're already in pain. They're already looking in the mirror and not liking who they see. So how dare you tell them that their lifestyle is wrong? They already feel bad anyway. They're already needing help. So I question you today, how'd you hear about Jesus? Who was it that told you? We don't know how this woman had issue of blood. We don't know where she heard, but we know that she heard. By the way, I, wanna, I told you earlier today that it's not about the quality of your faith. And it's not about the quantity of your faith. When you have nothing else to lose, right? We, we sing songs, right? I, I, I can think of a, of a song about this woman who had issue of blood, right? If I could just touch the hem of his garment. If I could just touch, I know I'd be made whole. Right? There's this whole song about the faith of this woman. But I'll tell you today, and you're like, man, if I could just have that kind of faith. Let me tell you something. You do, because her faith, to be quite honest, it wasn't like her faith was some great quantity. She had tried everything else. She was out of money. She had no other thing to believe. Listen, it wasn't that she had some great faith. It was the only thing she had left to try. But listen, even just a little bit of faith placed in a great big God. We'll do great things. A lot of people, the devil wants to tell you, yeah, but you ain't got the faith that this woman has. Are you at the end of your rope? Have you tried everything? Because if you are, then you've got enough faith. But if you're still trying and you still think there's an easier way or there's a better way and you still think there's a way without surrendering to Jesus, then you're not ready yet. And you don't have enough faith. But when you've got, you don't exhausted everything else, then trust me, what little bit of energy and faith you got, it's enough. You see, the reason I mentioned the quality of her faith is I, I hadn't really thought about it until I was reading a couple commentaries. And I was reading, uh, actually David Guzik out of Blue Letter Bible made mention of the fact that this woman says, that, you know, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. Nowhere else is it recorded of anything like that happening before. It wasn't like she, it wasn't like a, I read in the Old Testament yesterday about how God passed through and the hem of his garment touched someone. It wasn't like anything that had happened before that was recorded in the Old Testament that would have made her think to just touching the hem of his garment. It was her desperation. Some theologians say it might even been a little bit of superstition that if she could just touch something that he wore. But you know what I think it was? I think that she saw herself as so lowly and so unworthy and so dirty that she's like, you know what, if I could just touch his hem, he don't even have to look at me. He didn't have to touch me. If I could just get in his presence, if I could just touch his garment, that'll be enough. That'll be enough. Because if I ask him to turn around, maybe he won't. I bet you there was fear of rejection that's all through this story. 
I'm sure that she's like, if I tried to get him to stop, I mean, Jarius came and Jarius fell down at his, at his feet and asked him to go uh, uh, take care of his daughter. But Jarius, Jarius was the pastor of the synagogue. Everybody knew who Jarius was. I'm just that unclean woman. I ain't even been to church in 12 years. I can't. I'm just that dirty woman that nobody else can touch. All my friends are gone. All my family's gone. My husband's gone. Everybody's gone. I'm just that dirty woman. I mean, Jarius fell at his feet. Sure, he's doing it for Jarius. But listen, I don't need him to look at me. I don't need him to go to my house. If I can just get close enough to touch him, I believe that'll be enough. It was desperation. It wasn't the quality of her theological mind that led her to that. It was desperation. It was probably fear of rejection. Probably feeling like she wasn't even good enough. If I just touch him, he can go on about his day. He won't even know it happened. Everything will be fine. I'm just going to touch it. It's all I got left. It's the only thing that I can do. Boy, her day changed though, didn't it? As soon as she touched the hem of his garment, Jesus felt the, felt the power go out of him. And she was instantly healed. And he turned around and says, who touched me? By the way, I want you to know that she, she didn't have some, I don't believe that it was about having large faith. But I'll tell you what she did have. She had enough faith to go seek him out. She had enough faith to get off her butt. You see, some people, I believe that they don't get what, what God has for them because simply they just want to sit there. God, just send it to me. Instead of truly seeking God. This girl, listen, she knew where he was going to be. or She had heard about it. And it says that there were throngs of people which tell us that there was people all around him probably pushing and shoving, trying to get a glimpse. It's like being at a bad parade. You ever been at a parade, everybody pushing and shoving, trying to see and everything else? I remember being at the races uh, last year, and even with COVID, uh, people might do social distancing until you get horsepower involved. Suddenly, nobody cared about six foot. Ways all up on each other. It was all, and, I, and all of a sudden, one guy just walked right in front of me. And I couldn't see. I'm like, hey! I mean, I'm a pretty tall feller. I'm like, hey! You know, got jolly green giant, won't you get back on this side of me so I can see your head's blocking? Oh, my bad. Everybody all bunched up together. We's all trying to see the same thing. This people's trying to follow him. Jesus is going to Jairus' house. We got to see what's going on. I'm going on now and find out what's going on down up in here. And there she is. I'll tell you what she had enough faith to do. She had enough faith to push through the crowd. Sometimes we're like, well, Jesus is up there. I can't get to him from here. You don't want it bad enough. You don't want it bad enough. You're not ready yet. You got to be willing to push through. You see, she didn't have the greatest theological mind, and I think maybe her, she might have been just even, like I said, one theologian said, it may, she may have been a little bit even superstitious, which may have been what led her to thinking that she could just touch his garment or something. We don't know. But all we know is this, she had faith that Jesus could do it. And it wasn't the kind of faith where she sat on the couch just waiting for Jesus. Well, maybe he'll pass by this way. Well, if God really wants me to have it, I'm going to sit right here and he'll send Jesus by my way. No. 
She was desperate to the point that she would seek him out and she would push through the crowd. Jesus tells a story about prayer in Luke chapter 11. By the way, don't get it all wrapped around the axle. It's only, uh, we, man, we still got another hour to go. It's only 11.15. We're good. Is that clock even right? No, it's 12. We still got an hour. Don't matter. Luke chapter 11, verse 5 through 10. Jesus had just taught, right? They're like Jesus. They, they want to learn how to pray. And Jesus said, pray like this. You know, our Father who art in heaven. Then he gets to this, and he said to them in verse 5, Which of you as a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing set before them. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. Remember, they all slept on the floor around each other, and to get up in the middle of the night was a big deal. You ever tried to get a kid to go to sleep, and then you're like, You will actually kill people that make a noise for fear that kid going to wake back up again? You know what I'm saying? If you make one more noise, then wake your brother up and tell you right now. Right? Y'all know what I'm saying? Don't you even think about it. It says, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Impudence is a word that comes from a Greek word of anadeus. We actually talked about this one Wednesday night. And I... Kind of mentioned this word. Anadeus means to be immodest. You see, to go to this, to, to, for this guy to go knock on the door in the middle of the night means that this guy's not worried about shame. He's not worried of, you know, uh, he's not worried about being seen. He's not, you know, he's not prideful. This guy's banging on the door because he's got nowhere else to go. Kind of like on that movie, Officer and Gentleman, I got nowhere else to go. And it says the guy's not going to get up and give him something just because he's his friend, but it's because of his impudence. In other words, it's because at this point he's immodest. He's just being, he's letting it all hang out. He has nothing else to lose. I need this and I'm not going to stop until I get it. Immodesty, right? We know what the word modesty means, right? When we think about it in terms like address, modest. Somebody asked me one time, what's the difference between modest and immodest? I'm going to give you my definition. If it gives you nightmares, that's up to you. Modest is me going to the beach in a nice pair of long swimming trunks with an oversized shirt, right, and a hat. That's modest. Immodest is me going to the beach in a Speedo. That's the difference. Right? Some of you have to live with that now. I bet you're not worried about getting to the buffet now, are you? Huff, you might as well preach. My appetite is gone. Right? You want me to be modest, right? You want me to be modest. You want me to cover this up. Immodest says, I don't care if you see all the rolls that I got in this can of biscuits. Right? It don't matter. I got a problem and I need help. That's why we need to come to God. You see, we come to God all modest, right? All shirt buttoned up and everything covered as if we think he doesn't see. But the only way we're really going to, the only way we're truly going to see results in our prayer life is to come to God completely open. He already knows it anyway. Is to come to God with, you know what, I, I'm not going to let anything get 
in my way. I'm not going to let anything stop me. She didn't let the crowd stop her. She made an effort. Jesus, in that same chapter 11, verse 9, it says, I tell you that ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, this is not about riches. This doesn't mean ask for a Lamborghini and you're going to get it. But it's like if we truly come to God, if we're really seeking who He is, if we really are seeking healing, and her healing that she needed wasn't just a physical about the blood flow. Listen, she needed emotional and spiritual healing. She had been, she'd been torn away from worship, being turned away from affection and all the things that God made us to feel and have. And she hasn't had any of that. She's felt just reclused, just in a corner all by herself. For 12 long years, she has felt alone. And I don't know about you, but just because we got people around us here today doesn't mean we feel like we got people around us. I can be in a room full of people and still feel alone. Can you? I can be in a room, with a, in a room full of people who are telling me great things about myself and still feel alone. And still feel like I'm worse than scum. I remember walking off a stage up in Atlantic City about two years ago. I stood on a stage in front of a bunch of dealers, several hundred people in the room, and I gave a presentation. And public speaking is something that I don't really get nervous about, so I was able to pull it off. Things went well. And I had all these people coming up to me and saying all these great things. And when I sat down, I just still feel like I had bombed. I feel like it was awful. I feel like, why would anybody listen to me? And how crazy are these people who think that I somehow am a cut above the rest in what I do for a living? Why do they even think that? Because I, I, I just know that every day there are times when I'm even working on a unit that I got to pray to God, Lord, I need you to help me out with this because I am lost. And I find myself leaning on God even in my career, even in working on units. And so I see myself and I'm in that room full of people and things that people are saying great things about me, but still yet I feel alone. You ever feel there? This is what Dr. John Piper said about seeking God, though. In, a, in an article, in a, a blog that he did entitled Seeking God, he said this, the heavens are telling the glory of God so we can seek him through that. He reveals himself in his word so we can seek him through that. He, knows him, uh, he shows himself to us in evidence of grace in other people so we can seek him through that. The seeking is the conscious effort to get through the natural means to God himself, to constantly set our minds toward God and all of our experiences to direct our minds and hearts toward him through the means of his revelation. This is what seeking God means. Are you seeking him with everything that's in you? Or do you think that you already know? I already know those scriptures, Huff. I already know, you know, Philippians 4 and all that. I already know those. Listen, no, you may have read the words. You may know the black and white letters and what they stand for. And you may be able to read that. You may be able to quote that. But are you truly seeking him? This woman who had visual blood, we see this, this we see a, a kind of seeking here that, that is just an all out. I'm exerting all of my physical ability. I know where Jesus is, so I'm going to go there and I'm not going to stop until I touch him. 
I know where Jesus is. I'm not going to stop until he touches me. You know what's really cool about this story? Every other person this lady has touched has been deemed unclean. But for the first time in her life, she's touched someone who made her clean. You see, her uncleanness did not transfer to Jesus. Matter of fact, it was the other way around. His cleanness transferred to her. Because that's what Jesus does. He covers us with his righteousness. And makes us clean. So don't let the devil tell you you're too dirty. Don't let the devil tell you that what you've got involved in is the worst of the worst. And somehow you've, you, you've transgressed to the point that you're too dirty to be cleaned by God. Listen to this. Christ will cover you. I don't care how dirty you are. His blood can cleanse you. And let me just kind of bring the story to a close like this. Let's get back to Jairus. Remember the story started with Jairus falling on his face. And Jesus says, okay, and now Jesus is walking to Jairus' house. And then on the way there, this woman, this woman who had suffered for 12 years, makes her way through the crowd and touches him. Jesus says, who touched me? She finally says, it's me. I, it was me. And he says, your faith has made you whole. But then he goes on to Jairus' house, and before they could get there, somebody comes running from Jairus' house and says, you know what, don't trouble the teacher anymore because she's dead. She's gone. There's no sense in making him walk the rest of the way. But Jesus looked at Jairus and says, don't worry, just believe. Don't worry about it. It's all right. Let's just go. And then when Jesus, when they get to the house, they're weeping and wailing. And Jesus is like, why are y'all doing this? Because she's dead. Nah, she's just sleeping. They laughed at him. But he sends everybody out. And Jesus goes in and says, Talitha Kumi. Young lady, arise. Now, why did they start this with Jairus and end with this Jairus and stick this woman in the middle? You ever wonder? That's what I wonder. Why? Why is that in the middle? Why does all three Gospels record this the same way? Now, this may not be the only answer, but I will tell you one of the things that hit me. Is if you're reading about this woman that had an issue of blood, and you're reading about the power of God to cleanse her, but you're telling yourself, yeah... But, man, I've been in this a lot longer than 12 years. My dirt is, my, mine's much worse. It's, mine's been going on 30 years or whatever the case may be. Just in case you're thinking that God's power with that woman that had the issue of blood for 12 years, that was great for her, but I, I, my story is much worse. He ends this part with, oh, yeah, by the way, if his, power, if his power didn't impress you with what he did for that woman who had the issue of blood, get this. 
He raises the dead. So your situation is not too far gone. That's what that tells me at the end of the story. We hear this about this, wonder, this woman who was cut off from everything she loved. And her life was just tragic. And yet because of her faith, this desperation, all she had left was, this is all she had. I've tried everything else. And she just touches his garment. And because of her faith in Jesus, she's made whole. But if that isn't enough for you and you think that you're too far gone, then realize this. Then he goes to Jairus' house where his daughter is dead. And that still wasn't too far gone for Jesus. Because Jesus can take you no matter how dead you feel, no matter how far gone you feel. Listen, Jesus can reach out his hand and tell you, Talitha Kumi, arise. Even the worst of all situations is not too much for my God. And your situation is not too much for God. I want you to repeat after me. My testimony of how God has worked in my life is important and needs to be shared. Do it again. My testimony of how God has worked in my life is important and needs to be shared. Because listen, today, maybe you're not the woman who has the issue of blood. But you might work with her. You may meet her at the hair salon. It may be a guy and you may meet him at the barber shop. Or you may meet him at the parts counter at AutoZone. Or you may be sitting beside him at the chemo place. Share your story. This woman was seeking hope. And somebody shared with her Jesus. And this woman, after she had tried all, she made her way and she sought Jesus and she experienced Jesus. But it's circular. She sought hope, she found hope, and now she must what? Share hope. You see, that's how this works for you and I. I was seeking hope. I found and experienced hope, and now I share hope. Because then I may share hope with somebody else who is seeking hope, and then they experience hope, and then they share hope. In Revelation chapter 12, it says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives unto death. Think about this, folks. Listen, the blood of the Lamb is still as powerful today. And that's why we sang the song, Are You Washed? Amen. Has the blood of Jesus covered you? Have you trusted Him for everything that you are? Or are you trying to walk in part of it by yourself and try to do things under your power? Listen, maybe you are, but if, if you are and you're not ready to surrender now, then listen to this. God will let you get to a place where you have no choice but to surrender. Why? Because He loves you that much.
He cares about you that much. But if you're seeking hope, the only hope to be found is in Jesus. And once you experience the hope that only Jesus can give, then friends, we have nothing left to do but to share Jesus. Seek hope, experience hope, share hope. How did they overcome the accuser? By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. You may be going through a rough spot, you may be tough and things may be difficult, but listen, you trust God and he will bring you through it. I don't know what bringing you through it looks like. I don't know what healing looks like for you. But you know what I thought about? I thought about this woman who had the issue of blood. I bet you, I just, if I was a betting man, I bet you if he would have just healed the social and worship aspect of her life. In other words, if she could have just somehow no longer been unclean, I bet you she would have dealt with that blood issue regardless. Just let me get my hugs back. Let me get me able to go in and worship again. Let me feel that again. And that's all I really need. Listen, sometimes physical things bring us to a place to fix the emotional and spiritual things in our life. I could tell you that I've experienced some things that have made me a stronger Christian that I never would have went through without going through the physical aspects and dealing with the physical pain that I have to deal with on a daily basis. It's made me a stronger Christian. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. He prayed for God to remove it. Does that mean that, you know, and God says, my grace is sufficient for thee, Paul. He left a thorn there. But he says, but my grace is sufficient. Does that mean Paul didn't get his healing? No. Paul probably got healing he didn't even understand, didn't even know. That, that thorn in the flesh may have been a physical problem. But it kept him in a place where he was spiritually healthy and emotionally healthy. So quit trying to give Jesus the prescription of what you need and just telling him to fill it. Instead, go to him. Immodest, if you will. Go to him. Let it all hang out. God, I've been trying to write the prescription myself. I keep thinking I know what I need and I've always, you know what I've proven? I don't know a thing. If there's one thing I've proven, I don't know anything. So I'm going to quit trying to write the prescription and get you to feel like, like you're some great pharmacist. Instead, you're the great physician. I'm just going to come to you and we'll let it all hang out. And I'm going to trust that whatever you give me is going to be right. Would you stand?